Well, if you like frog or toad or gardeners, you know that gardening is hard work. It is hard work. It begins early in the spring when the soil is dry and warm enough to begin working. And every year I can hardly wait for this time. Maybe it's because I know that, that winter's on its way out. But I also really look forward to the challenge of building up the soil, of adding in work, or compost that I've been making and turning under grass clippings and leaves that have been used as mulch the, the year before. And while I'm doing that, I'm dreaming about all the variety of vegetables and flowers that will soon be growing in the garden. And that dreaming soon takes me to the farmer's supply store and to buy seeds and to buy plants, and then the fun begins. It's time to plant. First the cool weather crops, the lettuce, the spinach, the onions, peas, kale. And later when it's warmer, beans and cucumbers, zucchini, peppers, and tomatoes. Not as many tomatoes. I don't plant as many tomatoes as I think Rebecca Waybright does. But it is amazing what fits into our little side yard garden. And then comes the other hard work, waiting. Unlike Toad, I don't think that I've ever really scared my seeds by yelling at them, but I can identify with his impatience. If the spring is extra cool, actually this year was a great year, but when the spring is extra cool, I sometimes have to wait a long time for the seeds to sprout. And I find myself wondering, were the seeds defective? Are they rotting in the ground? Do I need to replant? And then one day, just about when I've given up, I walk out to my garden and I see these little bits of green poking up out of the earth. And I think, it's a miracle. Those dead-looking seeds that were buried in this dark, cold earth have come to life. And I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus once told his disciples. It's a parable that we heard this morning from Mark 4. That this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. You know, this is kind of an interesting image for God's kingdom, isn't it? It's, the farmer plants some seed, he sleeps, he gets up, he goes on with his life, and in the end, despite anything else he does or does not do, those seeds sprout. They produce a harvest. Now, I'm guessing that this image is either a very comforting one or maybe a disturbing one for us. I suppose it's comforting for us to know that the seeds of God's kingdom do end up growing, sometimes in spite of us and even when we don't understand how. But it's also a bit disturbing, I think, to think that we may have less control over the process than we think we do. In the end, 
The farmer isn't the one who makes the garden grow. And maybe we're not the ones who make God's kingdom grow. Ooh, that feels almost un-Mennonite to say that. You know, as Mennonites, we are big into doing our part and into working hard, and we are big into building the kingdom. We can't quite imagine standing back and, and letting it happen. I mean, that feels irresponsible. It almost feels like cheap grace. This rather passive image of the farmer also goes against the grain of our wider culture which values power and control. In our North American culture, we believe that it's up to us to set goals, to determine desired outcomes, and then to take necessary steps to see that those outcomes are realized. We believe it's up to us to decide what we're going to accomplish and then to make it happen. And we really do believe that we can make it happen. For example, if we follow these three steps, our congregation will be free of conflict. If we implement this particular program, we can increase our membership by 50%. If we practice this trend, we'll never see a budget shortfall again. And if we pursue this plan, our congregation is guaranteed to be revitalized. Now, don't get me wrong. There obviously is a place for clear vision and goals, for effective strategy and for hard work. These things are important. And I certainly see the importance of these things in my work as a pastor. But I also know that there are some potential problems with this approach. And perhaps the biggest danger is managing God right out of the picture. If God is there to help us achieve our goals, well, that's nice. But in the end, it doesn't really matter if God is there or not, as long as we've got things under control. So that's where we put our energy. You know, there is a reason that we get to this place. And I think this congregation's former pastor, Ron Adams, puts his finger on it very well. I think he nails it. In his recent column in the Mennonites, it's the June 1st issue. And I understand that one of the Sunday school classes is going to be discussing this article, so I hope this reflection uh, maybe helps that discussion along as well. Ron suggests that underlying much of our need... Much of our drive to be at work building God's kingdom, to be Christ's hands and feet in the world, to be missional, underlying all of that is a pervasive anxiety. This pervasive anxiety, Ron writes, springs from the fact that we are not entirely sure that God is willing and able to make all things new. We do not believe what we pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We act as though God's head is no longer in the game, which means it, it falls on us to keep things moving toward glory. Now, I think that sounds like Ron. From my perspective, 
What it really boils down to is trust. Do we trust that God is actively engaged with and in our world and that the spirit is at large and at work among us? Do we trust that despite our best efforts and despite our worst failures, that God's kingdom will come and that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that, in fact, God's reign is already breaking in among us? Do we believe this? Do we trust this? And if we do, then what? What does it mean for us, and what does it mean for how we live? Well, it means that we keep our eyes wide open for this kingdom that is growing in our midst. And in the second parable we heard this morning, the parable of the mustard seed, we're given a hint about what to watch for. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the shrubs, with such big branches that the birds can nest in its shade. Now, what this parable says is true. Mustard seeds are very small. You didn't see them as I showed the children, but they're not much bigger than a grain of sand. A little bit bigger, but not much. And they do grow into large bushes. And this parable makes a big deal out of this, that the smallest of seeds grows into the largest of shrubs. But the size of this bush may not be the only point here. I'm not sure, but it may not even be the main point. You see, the thing about mustard bushes, and this is something that the original hearers of this parable from Jesus would have known. They would have known that mustard seeds, mustard plants, are very invasive. Once a wild mustard plant takes root, it can take over a whole planting area, and it becomes very difficult to root out. I'm thinking mint, dill, kudzu. Mm -hmm. And because of this, in Jesus' day, people didn't generally plant mustard in their gardens. It was mostly found growing on hillsides or in abandoned fields because if you did plant it in your garden, it would take over everything. And then there's this part in the parable about the birds taking shelter in the shade of the branches of these bushes. What a cozy, nurturing, maybe comforting little image. But given the unfavorable reference to birds in the previous parable that we find just right before this one in Mark, the parable of the sower, where the birds come and they eat the seeds right off the path, Maybe this parable is suggesting something different. Maybe it's suggesting that once mustard shrubs take root, all kinds of things happen, including the appearance of undesirable guests. To sum it up, in the words of John Dominique Croissant, 
The point of this parable is not just that the mustard plant starts as a proverbial small seed and grows into a shrub of three or four feet tall or even higher. It is that it tends to take over where it is not wanted. It tends to get out of control. And that it tends to attract birds within cultivated areas where they are not particularly desired. And that, said Jesus, is what the kingdom of God is like. A pungent shrub with dangerous takeover properties. Something that you would only want in small and carefully controlled doses. If you could control it. End of quote. Well, that's an interesting take on this parable. Whatever you think about it, it does give us something to ponder. And what I feel called to ponder this morning is this. How do we respond to the kingdom, to this mustard bush kingdom that is taking root among us and growing and spreading in spite of us in ways that may surprise us and even disturb us? Going back to Ron's article, I hear Ron suggesting that we simply name it for what it is. This, my friends, is God at work. And we respond by bearing witness to it. We bear witness to it with our words and with our lives. And with our words, and here I will quote Ron, we name what is under, otherwise unnamed. We offer a glimpse of the deeper reality that otherwise goes unnoticed. We invite folks to see the world for what it is, the focus of God's loving intent. We also bear witness with our actions, and we do this, Ron suggests, by living as if what we preach is true. By living as if what we preach is true. Here's an example. So we claim that peace is God's will for all humanity. So we seek peace and we pursue it. Not because God will otherwise let us keep killing each other or not because it's up to us to save the world. Rather, we pursue peace because God in Christ has already made peace with us all and has already dismantled the barriers that divide us. And we want to bear witness to what God has done. We want to bear witness with our words and with our lives to God's will and God's way of costly self-giving love. And we bear witness to what God has done and to what God is doing because we trust. We trust that God is still at work to make all things new. We trust that God's kingdom will come, that God's will will be done, even now, even here, even among us. And to that, I can only say, thanks be to God.
One final word in closing. In the beginning of June, I participated in a very wonderful and very intense week of interim pastor training over at Locust Grove. It was a wonderful opportunity for me. So as I prepared the sermon, I found myself wondering what my interim pastor colleague, friends, and trainers would think about my quoting extensively East Chestnut Street, former beloved pastor. You know, after all, this interim is a time of unhooking from past leadership and making space in our hearts and in our life together for what lies ahead. But as I reflected on the lectionary text for this morning, alongside Ron's article, there was just this wonderful convergence that just felt very spirit-led. And it came to me as I reflected on this convergence and on the time in which we find ourselves. This is a word I want to share with you all. That God, through Ron, and through each one of you, and through others before you, have scattered good seed in this place. Really good seed. And without our always knowing how, it has taken root in our hearts, in our lives, and in the life of this congregation. And it is growing among us and spreading roots and and shoots into our community and into our wider world. And we're not sure what all this means, except that we know that God is at work, and that God has been faithful, and that God will be faithful, whatever the future brings. May we rest in that hope. And in the meantime, may we be awake and watchful for what God is doing, and may we be given the courage to bear witness to what we have seen and what we have heard. Amen.